Hello and welcome to an electrifying episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinema mechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana. Today we'll be starting our Thunder trilogy with our review of 2022's Thor Love and Thunder. We'll jump into five-point inspection with Living on a Prayer, Back in Black, Come on Feel the Noise, Whiplash, and Master of Puppets. But before we do, let's check in on the shop. That is why this November, I'll be supporting Taika Waititi for Syndicate Council. How, how is that? Uh, it's, it's a little dry. I think we should maybe bring in the goats for this scene. The goats? Dude, you don't think that's a little broad? Uh, broad? What, what do you mean? I mean, Taika is campaigning on some serious issues. If we're filming a commercial to, to support his campaign, I think we should take it more seriously. Uh, you know, hey, I agree, but nobody wants to spend 90 seconds looking at kids in cages, okay? So, for the next scene, I want you to be a little more playful. Have some fun with it, you know? I don't know, man. I'll, I'll try. What are we shooting next? Uh, Taika, he's a big supporter of cancer research, so we're gonna, we're gonna shoot on location at the hospital. Have some more fun with it? At the hospital? Talking about cancer? Hey, well, uh... No, let's just, let's just review Thor Love and Thunder. A godly space viking begins to question his life after getting bored with a galactic road trip with interstellar crime fighters. When a new enemy emerges threatening all supreme beings, the boisterous deity has to once again save the universe while confronting the one thing he hasn't been able to conquer. Love. Artie Travis, we'll get into five point inspection here in a second, but you know I want to know your quick diagnostic of 2022's Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, I have to admit, first of all, I was not excited about watching this movie. Um, I, I feel like I've said it every single time we reviewed an, an MCU movie. I'm kind of marveled out. Um, that being said, I, I thought there was a lot of good stuff in this movie. I think a lot of the complaints that I'm reading online, because I, I did dip into reviews, I did dip into some of the fan feedback. A lot of the feedback that I'm I'm seeing is that it doesn't tie into the MCU universe at large, to which I say fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic. <laughs> yeah. You're telling me that I need to consider this movie just as a movie in its own right? Okay, I, I'm, I'm gonna do that. And I think this movie did a lot well. Um, I, I don't know with our five points because... Uh, uh, we went with a certain motif this week uh, with our five points. So I don't know if, if mine always fit where they should. But bef before we get into it too much, I have to credit Christian Bale. Um, one of my oh, favorite. Absolutely. One of my favorite Marvel villains by far, by far. Um, and, and spoilers, because, you know, obviously, if you're listening to this, I hope that you've seen the movie. But if you haven't, Christian Bale is dead by the end of the movie. And, and it works for me because I, I feel like you take somebody like Christian Bale who wants to do a certain kind of performance and he's going to tell you, I, hey, I'm not signing up for 
a five movie Marvel contract. But he, he absolutely crushes it as a villain. So uh, this is an uneven movie, to be sure. But uh, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. What, what about you? Well, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the five points. But what's interesting about Christian Bale is Thor has already probably has one of the best, if not the best, Marvel villain with Loki. He's top five Marvel villains, knowing that there's, what, 20 of these fucking movies. You somehow managed to not use Loki at all and find another fantastic villain for Thor to go up against. Like, I don't even think, I don't even know if Thor has a great rogue gallery. Like, you would think of, like, Batman is always having, which granted, I know that's DC, but always having, like, his rogue gallery. Spider-Man has always talked about, like, their rogues or you know, the, the best in in the biz and all that. But God, I mean, the Thor movies have done a good job of of having good, like those villains. Like I know they've had some of the elves and other weird shit, but like having Loki and, and Gore the God Butcher, I'm like, I thought they did a fantastic job. And Christian Bale, holy shit, was he creepy in this movie? Did he not do a fantastic job with that, with that role? Um, my... So I agree. I'm I'm pretty marveled out. I, it's the sad part is I think they're starting to do a little bit more experimentation now, and I'm at the point now where I don't care because I went back. I didn't watch um, Multiverse of Madness when it was in theaters. I did watch it on Disney Plus, and that was Sam Raimi getting back, behind, you know, behind the wheel, and actually some kind of Army of Darkness. Like it was much more of an, a horror flick. And watching it, it's like, oh, this is a departure of. There's still I'm gonna say. The Marvel movies are still kind of cookie cutter, but at least we're getting different icing on them now. Like there's a little bit of a different flavor to it, even if it's the same shape and formula. Um, But with that said, it's just it's it's almost too little too late. I I didn't go to this movie because I was a huge Marvel or Thor fan, which I've I am. I was actually I went to it because I'm a huge Taika Waititi fan. That's what excited me about this film is I just I love pretty much everything he's done. So I went into it. With that, uh, it is uneven. There is definitely some pacing issues that we'll get into, but it's a very fun movie. I mean, you can't take away from the fact that I I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end, even being Mr. Plothole, where, you know, I'm like, why the fuck is that this happening? So, like, I still, it is a very enjoyable movie, and I think that goes to just, you know, if you like Taika Waititi and you like his flavor of, of comedy and writing, I think you'll very much enjoy this movie because you get a lot more of Taika. You almost get him kind of, you know, unchained. With that said, if you're not a huge fan of his writing and his humor, you're you're probably not going to enjoy this movie at all. Like, it's, it's going to be one or the other. Like, you have to enjoy the way he sets up a scene and sets up the dialogue and sets up a joke or it, it's, it's not going to be an enjoyable movie because a lot of this movie, unfortunately, is... Set, setting up for jokes um it's it's the the funny part is is we we dinged i think was it the uh king of staten island we dinged for that where it just felt like it was set but those jokes there was some movie we've reviewed while we've been doing this show that was like oh this movie is just every scene is just setting up for a joke there are just all of these single scenes that, that the movie doesn't string together this movie almost has the same problem but maybe because i'm a taika watiti fan i was a little bit more forgiving with it because i actually laughed at it almost every scene you know every every scene has a joke somewhere crammed into it with this movie so maybe that's the that's a good way to get into whiplash which here's what i'll say um my early complaints about marvel like you like you mentioned cookie cutter 
it never felt like they actually let a director get in there and do their particular style of work. Whereas Taika Waititi probably, I don't know if this is being too dramatic, but he saved Thor as a character in the MCU with Ragnarok. Yes, I would agree. And he was so successful in doing that. It feels like Marvel kind and, and maybe Kevin Feige. I, I, I don't know the, the behind the scenes, but it feels like they told Taika Waititi, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Just give us another Thor movie. Give us Chris Hemsworth doing this, uh, you know, himbo kind of fun story. And, and he absolutely has free reign to do that. The problem is I still feel the seams of where maybe the notes that he did not particularly have in his own right and that Marvel forced upon him. I could feel those seams every single time because it's just a weird movie to go back and forth between, like you said, set up for a joke, set up for a joke. Oh, hey, Jane's got cancer. Set up for a joke, set up for a joke. Hey, the more... You know, Jane does the stuff that we love, you know, as as being the mighty Thor. It's 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 literally sabotaging her fight against cancer. Totally. It just keeps going back and forth between those two things. And it's, it, it never quite works for me. So there's two things I want to say about that. And I'm glad we brought it up. The first is I feel like there's a rhythm to this movie, but I don't think it's working where I feel like it's seriousness leads into a joke, action. Serious note, joke, action. Serious note, joke, action. Where it almost is, but the problem is, is it winds up, because you're doing that, it's almost like if you're playing music or something, like you have one, two, and then you wind up like playing a sharp note, where it's like, it just becomes very jarring that, yes, there's a rhythm to the movie, but the rhythm isn't, like, it isn't enjoyable <laughs> to that extent with the way that the, the pacing is going. I... Hashtag Watiki Cut or Watiki, goddamn, I combined his name. Uh, Taika Cut, Taika Watiti Cut, Watiti Cut. There's what I was trying to say. Hashtag Watiti Cut. There has to be another version. I don't know why this movie, it's the shortest movie since Ant Man and, and Wasp to come out of the MCU. Most of them have been ranging around two hours and 30 minutes. I was happy to see that this was two hours. After watching it, I'm like, there's 30 minutes of this movie missing um, that needs to be in there. And I know that there's at least 30 or there's a large portion of this movie missing because I've read interviews with Natalie Portman where she's like, oh, there was stuff we did in the movie that I absolutely loved. They cut out that didn't make it into the movie. Like there's so much great stuff that this is what they chose. But this stuff got cut out. And then I know that there were also scenes filmed with both Jeff Goldblum and Peter Dinklage. Those are those are top list act top you know A list actors that you've paid to do scenes and then decided to cut out of the movie entirely. I'm like, and my question for that is, what was the original script for this movie? Because it's so weird to me to think that you wrote an entire story and every I believe with Taika Waititi like every bit matters, and then somehow on the cutting room floor you wind up just trimming a bunch of this stuff out. And to me that's where you can tell that there's a pacing issue is because there's pieces of this movie that are missing that would explain and give the audience a chance to breathe or something like that. And I think that's what's wrong with the story is there's definitely components where it's like, I'll say this, this it'll kind of start getting into come on field and or come and feel the noise. This movie does something that drives me nuts in movies where 
they tell the audience what's going on rather than showing it. And there's so much voiceover and there's so much of, oh, let's have Korg tell the story. And it's like, it drives me nuts when they do that stuff. Cause it's like, it's, it's way less impactful. It's like at the very beginning, it's funny. Cause you know, I think it was a, a nod to, you know, Mad Max and all that where, you know, they, they open that story. Like that was funny, but then he does it at least one more time. And then there's the whole thing where Valkyrie's backstory, I feel like gets completely undercut because it winds up just being Korg, which it's a funny line. It's a, it's a totally a Taika Waititi thing to do, but where he's explaining like, oh, you're now drowning yourself in, in liquor so that you can avoid having to deal with the confrontation of knowing that all of your female warriors died in battle. And this, I'm like, oh, it's really funny how just on the nose he says all that. At the same time, it would have been great if we got to see kind of Valkyrie recount that or talk about that as opposed to, no, we're just going to have Korg narrate it and then her just nod and be like, yep, something like that. It's like, okay, I guess that's how we're going to resolve that. Well, it, one thing I know we've discussed in multiple reviews on the Hollywood Chop Shop is whenever narration shows up, it's always a red flag. And mm -hmm. Taika Waititi, if you want to choose a narrator, I, I, I could... I would struggle to think of a better one than Taika Waititi because his his voice, the way he he plays into this universe, works so well as Korg. But yeah, they're they're you can tell that the you you can see the scissors as far as the way this movie is edited uh, because so much is just thrust upon Taika Waititi to do narration. And the narration kind of comes in when it's convenient and drops out for large segments of the movie and then returns at the end, which again is always mm -hmm. a bad sign. And even some of it's subtle narration where it's even where Thor is talking about, Hey, that's Zeus. Look at all the stuff that Zeus has done. And like Taika does, he's a, he does a great job of formulating that dialogue where it's fun and engaging, but it's still narration, which still drives me nuts. Cause it still winds up being at the end of the day where it's, you're almost listening to a radio program instead of watching a movie. I'm like, I'm here to watch a movie, not watch someone tell me what's going on or what's happened. <laughs> so and I just, I think that it's very interesting I would be very interested to see if that was originally in the script or if that wound up having to somehow be a fix as they were either filming it or they were editing it that they wound up having to do a lot more voiceover to fix some of the, oh, well, we cut this out. Like another a great example of is, you know, Peter Dinklage. I, how familiar, did you know who what he played in the cinematic universe? He played the, the giant dwarf who made Stormbreaker and the um, the axe that Thor uses. In, yeah. Now that so, you say it, I remember, but I did not remember it until you said it. Yeah, so he made the gauntlet for Thanos, and then he also made Stormbreaker. So the thing is, he was in the movie. I'm sure it, that's the point where he explains he ex gore attacks him and explains why he needs the bifrost to open the key instead what we wind up getting is natalie portman as jane foster looks behind a curtain sees i can't tell if it was supposed to be gore's notes or if it's an ancient like scripture on the wall which makes no sense because stormbreaker was just made but i'm like what okay now this is how we figured out. oh it's a trap and i'm like okay, we could have established that some earlier in the movie so it wasn't just thrown at me. <laughs> uh, so Whiplash. I Whiplash is one of our five uh, points of inspection. 
there are several moments in this movie where I could just literally feel that a scene was removed from the edit. Like, <laughs> down to the fact that when they were jumping around, uh, again, I apologize, when they get to the planet uh, to fight Gore the first time, they just kind of, they land on the planet and then magically they're in the tent that tells them <laughs> that it's a trap. And then magically they're out of the tent. That... Yep. I I was losing my mind in the theater because I'm like, did I just black out and miss <laughs> the 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 transition? Yeah, I I totally agree. There's there's a lot of that in this movie where it is or not a lot, I'll, but there's enough of it that it's noticeable, right? And that's which is weird. It's weird to say because this is stuff that would kill a movie for me. But again, I enjoyed this movie, but it is still glaring that that and again, it goes back to just I don't Taika Waititi, how good he is at his had his craft, because those are things that would just I would be like life level just ripping this movie apart. But I still enjoyed it so damn much that it's like, yeah, this kind of is weird that this just happened this way, but I'd watch it again. <laughs> you know, it's ultimately the, the problem I have with this movie is it just feels like three or four different movies. But I like every single version of the movie that Taika Waititi brings us here, but they don't necessarily fit together. Like Christian Bale's performance, uh, good Lord, let me just get into it. When he is in the cage with the children and he's he's hearing them talk about the stories of Thor, the legends of Thor, and then he, mm -hmm. it almost feels like he wants to... He wants to impress the kids and then he's kind of like stunned that they don't enjoy the fact that he just ripped the head off of another animal. Like, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed that scene. Again, tonally, it's weird because Gore, Gore's character to me, here, here's my hot take. Gore is talking about the fact that not only are gods and religion not real, uh, your elected officials don't represent your interests at all. That's, I I love that as a theme, but it's a Marvel movie. So, you know, they can't really drill down on that. So they move away with other humorous endeavors. So I'll pause there because I know I really, I really put it out there. But what do you think? Well, and I don't necessarily think it was the they're not real. It was the these people of power that you trust to take care of you do not have your interests in mind. That is, you are there to serve them solely. And that's another problem with this movie and why I think that there's scenes missing is because at the end of the day, nothing in this movie proves Gore wrong with the exception of Thor. Thor is the only one in this movie who has humanity. And at the very end, yes, it makes sense where he's like, Gore, you've won. You did it. I'm not going to try and stop you. If you're going to kill me, I just want to spend the last of my time with this woman who I love, who is also dying. Like, you've done it. If that's if your choice is to kill us all off, that's your choice. I'm not going to stop you. But just, you know, one of those things like, you can choose love. You can choose life if you want to. This is your opportunity to to prove you have the power of gods. This is your opportunity to show that that power doesn't corrupt absolutely. And he chooses love. Um, with that said, 
that's the first time that that interaction between those two characters happens. And I feel like there has to be something else in that movie where Gore sees Thor's humanity to where at the very end, when when it's like, who's going to raise my daughter? Jane's like, don't worry, I'm dying. It's not going to be me, but this boy Thor, he going to do it for you. And Thor goes, yeah, nods and says, I'm going to do it. Gore doesn't go like, ah, no, I'm just going to kill all the gods. Like, no, I don't trust that you're actually, I don't trust that you're actually going to take care of my daughter because I have already proven through this movie that gods don't give a shit about anyone. So that's, and that's, that's where I kind of, fell into this movie is there's stuff missing and that kind of goes into living on a prayer this is gonna be one of those uh, shows where five points kind of intertwines with everything but it's whoa we're halfway there and my thought with this movie is there's so much going on that they go about halfway and don't actually like follow through with i think we needed more about i love where they went with thor and by the end what hit meaning to him is raising a, a kid right i uh, and, and I will say, admittedly, for me, I have two uh, daughters. That meant a lot to me. The beginning of the movie, I was already getting angry with as it, watching him having to watch his daughter die. I'm like, this fucking sucks. Like, this is we're at, at up level emotion for me because I'm like watching him, especially Christian Bale and his performance, watching him have to try and keep his daughter alive. And then ultimately she died and him hugging the two like already. I'm Again, I'm going to say that that's just a personal thing for me. But I think. Throughout the movie, they did a good job of showing Thor interacting with the children and how he does well with kids so that when he does become the father at the end, you're like, okay, that makes sense. We're moving towards her. Even to the point where I, I'm i pretty sure they were trying to do a nod when he gives the electric, the power to all the children. It's the shape of a tree. So it's, again, him sprouting and having family tree there. We'll get to that because I know you have, I know what Master of Puppets is because as we were working through tiles. But I think they needed to do more about thor and his father which would have made it more impactful as to why he decided he wanted to be a king because a lot of thor is him trying to figure out what he wants to be in the world and not being told what to do so i think we needed a little bit more about him and his father's relationship should have we should have seen some flashbacks or him talking about that yeah my only problem it, it it always with these Marvel movies, it feels like the opening scene and the ending scene are written as a pair. And then mm -hmm. everything in the middle is, you know, we can get off some jokes and make some lighthearted humor uh, because, yeah, I mean, the way this movie opens, I was I, I didn't even realize it until it it happened. We see Gore's backstory before we even get the Marvel Cinematic Universe opening. And I mm -hmm. thought that was so well done. I, I I, was instantly on the side of gore from the start of the movie. Here, here's my other problem. And this kind of ties to Master of Puppets. I don't like that the sword is what propels gore to do all of this. Gore just lost his daughter if he finds the sword that allows him to kill gods, that's great. I don't like that the sword is corrupting his mind because he's already gone through the process of losing his daughter because his god did not listen to him. He, he doesn't mm -hmm. need extra motivation in the quote-unquote MCU way of, hey, this sword's controlling his mind and it will eventually kill him. I thought that actually uh, watered down the character of Gore. Well, yeah, because it also means that the 
the polar opposites of Gore and Jane mean a little bit less because it was, it, to me it was supposed to be these two powerful weapons are essentially they're both keeping the host alive and killing them at the same time. So Jane is the light side of that where everything she wants to do is for for good. You know, she wants to live her last adventure and, and try and do some good and she's willing to die for that. Whereas Gore, he's not corrupted by the sword, but essentially because of all of his loss, his personal loss, he's probably going to die because of maybe injuries he succumbed out in the desert, right? He was starving to death. And then it's like, no, he has the sword, which is essentially keeping him alive, but he will eventually die as well. And you know what? I, 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 I did not think of that element. I just I, it, it just kind of removes a little bit of agency from Gore because it doesn't it doesn't feel like they established that that's his motivation enough without the sword. Um, I also don't think they establish his strength and his prowess very well. He's Christian Bale is absolutely terrifying in this movie, his performance of like in a good way. Like it's awesome watching him be just unhinged and, and scary like that. But Thor is this ultimate powerful God and it just, Gore and him seem to be pretty evenly matched throughout the entire movie. Like, they never do anything. I would have loved to have seen a montage or something of of Gore killing other gods where we see, like, oh, no, Gore is a formidable opponent. It's not just, hey, he's got the sword, and, well, you know, he's going to be a formidable opponent for Thor because, you know, we'll, again, in dialogue, say he's got the Necrosword. The Necrosword allows this, blah, 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 blah. I, I would have liked to have seen Gore fighting other gods to show to demonstrate in that manner that how strong he is aside from just the giant you know skull monster on the frozen planet like i guess that was supposed to be the behemoth he slayed that so he has to be strong and powerful but again it would have been more interesting to me to see you know in this whole almost a horror style of him hunting down and, and killing gods as opposed to just hearing about it through headlines yeah definitely agree and i have to assume that if there's a four hour uh, Taika cut out there that that's a large portion of what was cut is showing Gore. I mean, he's the God butcher. We we literally only see him kill one God at the beginning of the movie. And his character design, I don't know if you noticed it, noticed it or not. I, I did, but then I found out there is a scene that apparently they cut out of the movie because it was a little too aggressive for a PG-13 rating, but in the beginning of the movie, Gore has, like, the religious tattoos all over him. And at the end of the movie, or when he becomes the God Butcher, he's pale, but he's actually, you can see, scarring. And apparently there's a scene in the movie where he actually takes the knife and is cutting the tattoos all over, like, his religious tattoos off of himself because he of him not worshipping the God anymore. And apparently the way that it was shot was a, it was a little too disturbing for a PG-13 cut of the movie. Yeah, I, I noticed the scars at the end of the movie. It, it's weird. Does it feel like... Okay, here's what I'm going to ask you before we get into any of their five points. What do you think the reason is for the, the slightly under two-hour runtime? Like, Taika Waititi has been the darling of Marvel. He's he's about to have a Star Wars franchise, whatever he wants to do with it. it. Clearly, people value him as a creative, but yet it feels like this movie, 
was edited to shit. I, I don't I, I don't understand that. So I have three theories. And not all of these are, th- are separate buckets. One is that Marvel, there's a lot of complaints about how long the movies are and that they were trying to experiment with trying to get it down to a two hour mark. And they basically, that was one of the things they said, hey, get it down to two hours. The next is at the end of it, when it was out actually pieced together, it, there were there are other pacing issues and that this was the best scenario. I don't believe that because I've seen plenty of Taika's other material and I just think he's... He's better at writing than to have written so much without thinking the long, the you know, the long runway that it's not going to be done. My third theory is knowing that a lot of what Taika Waititi said after he shot this was like, this could end his career because he just goes crazy. And a lot of the actors have talked about like Taika is like a kid. Imagine letting an 11 year old or a child write an entire movie and they just kind of like let it loose. And at the end of the day, I could see some of the stuff he did them knowing that general audiences would not enjoy it. I honestly thought it was surprising and it was breath of fresh air. The amount of the LGBTQ stuff that was in this movie. And I was like, I'm actually surprised Marvel knowing all of the, the Disney parents who are going to be up in arms about this, let this much through with the Valkyrie stuff being bisexual, the mention of an orgy, you know, or a craw or Gorg. Yeah. Yeah. The hand over the Gorg. Yeah. And even then it's like, they never establish if there's even females in that race of alien. Like they're just rock people. We like, we project that there's male, they're male. So there has to be another gender. But I'm like, that is one of those things where it's like, Oh, it's too male rock people that make a baby in a lava pit i'm like there's all there was a lot of it that i was like i'm actually surprised how much they let him get away with knowing that this is under the disney tent pole um and i would think that there might have been more not necessarily lgbq stuff but just more stuff that he pushed and maybe they were just like okay we're seeing it actually on screen and we're we need you to cut that out because we're disney yeah, so I, I I think you nailed what my thought was that Taika Waititi he wants to tell a story that is personal to him and what he cares about, which means that a lot of the Marvel stuff will get sacrificed because yeah, I think when you look at hey, why is this movie under two hours? It's because a lot of what he wanted to say was edited down to what was palatable for Disney. A hundred percent. Now, I do think that that largely makes the actual story suffer. Uh, and if you want to transition, yeah. uh, why exactly do we spend the second act of this movie going to see Russell Crowe, which... I, I, I can't tell if that's a problematic performance, but I enjoyed the fuck out of it. Russell Crowe oh, crushes yeah. this movie. Crushes this movie. I loved him as Zeus. God, I'm not <laughs> even going to try to duplicate his accent and the, the his dialogue in this movie, but it is phenomenal. Dude, beyond, beyond the dialogue and the delivery, I love him dancing with the lightning bolt. I mean... 
How, who else could have convinced Russell Crowe to do that but Taika Waititi, right? Him throwing that lightning bolt around on the stage. I was dying laughing at him do it because it's so over the top and ridiculous. And it's even better because it's Russell Crowe who's doing it. Russell Crowe who does not give a shit about physical fitness. It, it, it's, it's amazing to think that he was in Gladiator. <laughs> As that ripped, chiseled fucking hero of the movie. And I love it. Okay, so here's my complaint, though. The The whole reason that they go to Zeus is to get an army. And then by the end of the movie, it's established that Thor can just make an army. Complete with the temporary, uh, hey, hey. The powers are are temporary. You only have them for 24 hours. If he mm-hmm. could do that, then what is the whole fucking point of the second act of the movie other than to have a great Russell Crowe scene and then apparently introduce Hercules, which I we can get into that. I, I had no idea Hercules was a character in the, the Marvel Universe, but oh, yeah, yeah, I that part of again, when Taika Waititi is so focused on the social messaging of this movie, which I'm fine with some of the other stuff, though, gets short shrift which is why do they need an army when when Thor can make one out of children? True, and I think maybe it's one of those, You it goes back to, did Thor, because Thor gets beat by Gore at the end, right? It's because James Foster shows up. The mighty Thor winds up showing up and they, they tag team him, but, well, and technically they lose. They don't actually win. Yeah, because Gore so, gets to the yeah he gets to the Gore does so at, at the at the end of the day you're you're saying they they actually still needed an army like the children were able to fight back some of the shadow monsters but at the end of the day they did technically fail so they probably still could have used the army but I still see what you're saying like it is one of those oh I need an army and then he summons a bunch of he gives children with a bunch of broken metal lightning powers and suddenly you know they can fight back shadow beasts um but yeah I mean the I think the where we still talk about going halfway is that whole thing with them going to the city was to establish again all the gods are actually terrible people especially when you know oh when zeus makes the comment about human sacrifice and then it's like okay this is gonna go in a bad direction but it's still we don't get to see the rest of it where okay we've now once again proven gore right now what are we gonna do to persuade so gore doesn't want to kill all of them because at the end Every anybody with children, I think, can be like, oh, yeah, I, I would have picked my kid over. You know, you just have that natural instinct that you you want to protect your child or if you could bring them back from the dead, you would reverse that. But at the end of the day, it feels like Gore would have done a lot. He would have kind of died a, a tragic villain or a hero, whatever you want to say, if he had killed all the gods, because it seems like the gods don't actually do anything to benefit the universe. And then there's a throwaway line at the beginning, like, oh, a gut, you know, at the very beginning, our god died, and then it allowed these, you know, owl people to come in here, and, and, you know, there's disarray, but at the same time, if your only thought is, oh, the gods create order, but they're total fucking assholes, it goes back into your comment about, like, is this just an allegory for our political system like yeah i guess they're here to create order but really they're they're not they're self-interest yeah and i think that's ultimately 
the the greatest strength of this movie and the greatest weakness of this movie is it, it touches on some pretty important topics and topics that relate to you know the average person's everyday life but then at the same time it's also a marvel movie and when i talk about whiplash as one of the five points i can always feel the back and forth of this look i hate to say it i martin scorsese agrees with me but i can feel the back and forth between this being a real movie and this being a theme park ride mm-hmm. and the the best of marvel is when it doesn't feel like a theme park ride but you're never completely out of the amusement park and that's that's the issue i had with this movie so what's interesting about this is you talk about the back and forth and we talk about when we reviewed the Star Wars prequel trilogy where George, that was a situation in which the studio put no control, no guardrails. And George was able to, Lucas was able to do whatever the hell he wanted and it suffered for it. Whereas this is one where I feel like the studio got a little too involved with the creative and you really needed to let your your creative, your director have a little bit more control. I, I think this is one of those examples of like the studio was a little more involved than they probably needed to be to make this movie. I mean, it'll be financially successful. I have no doubt in that, but to have made it a better movie, they needed to to have less involvement. Yeah. And to me, if I had to guess, it feels like they gave Taika that creative control and then they got the finished cut. You know, you mentioned earlier in this podcast, a four hour cut. And they were like, okay, well, holy shit, we need to make some changes. And, and not all the changes work. Not all the cuts work. Mm. So, I don't know if you have anything else for Living on a Prayer, Come on, Feel the Noise, Whiplash, or Master Puppets, but we still have Back in Black. And Back in Black was, honestly, we've talked about it here, but it's just, oh, uh, what? No, 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 are you going to talk about the black and white usage of this movie? Oh, we can. Oh, I thought, uh, I thought back that and, was Back in Black. No, go ahead. What, what, well, do, you what do you want to talk about the Black and Black? Well, let's just bring that up, and then we'll do Back in Black. I thought that was all beautifully shot. I thought oh, yes. everything on the... Like, I'm kind of disappointed that was not the end of the movie mm-hmm. in terms of the way that was shot. Because I thought... Here's the thing. When I heard that there was a black and white scene in this movie, I thought it was going to be a cover for poor CGI because mm-hmm. it feels like every Marvel movie... They have to have the the fights, you know, under cloud cover to cover, mm-hmm. you know, CGI budgets. I thought the black and white was a, a beautiful artistic choice. And I thought that that chef's kiss, chef's kiss. So when you said back in black, that's what I thought you were going to talk about. But I, I have to give that a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. Back in black was just going to talk about Taika Waititi was back like this is he was back in full force from all the stuff he does this is this is going to be my segment where it's just a love letter to the stuff i thought was hysterical in this movie or that i really enjoyed the most um it's definitely taika cranked up to 11 uh (laughs) i will say two things all right travis and you can judge me as a person if you want to all right as a critic as a friend as a brother but i will tell you this first off 
I laughed out loud every fucking time the goats <laughs> screamed in this movie. All right. And I'm not ashamed to say it. Every time it happened, there was never a moment in this movie when those goats cried and I I didn't be like, this is dumb. I laughed out loud every the timing of the goats was whether or not it broke up a scene, and I'm gonna say it could play into whiplash where it's like mm, maybe we broke some of the scene up. But I swear to God, the comedic timing of the goats was perfect every time. Even when they crashed into the moon in the in the, the <laughs> yes, dark world, yes. it's like I laughed every time. Every time the goats went off, I laughed in this movie. Here's the thing, Brett. I I agreed with you, and then as I was watching the movie, I was like, ah, this is too much. But uh, in, a, in a family guy sense, Tyka stuck with the joke so much that it was funny, and then it was not funny, and then it was funny again, which I think is what we've discussed <laughs> on this podcast a couple of times. If you're committed to the joke, it, it works. Um, in addition to that, I thought that the the jealous weapons was also hysterical. Every every time Stormbreaker, the axe just slowly came from off scene. I again laughed. Everything fucking happened in this movie. I thought again comedic timing with that joke was so good every time or even when even when he goes to take off and like the stormbreaker throws him back into the statue when he's trying to leave new asgard he comes back he's like there's there's nothing i just i'm already back and i'm like every time every time he sat there and had to talk with stormbreaker because stormbreaker was jealous i laughed i was like i don't understand how you're able to pull off sentient weapons and make it to where i understand the emotion that this literally emotionless weapon is doing and it is hysterical every time it is hysterical every time yeah i I know we see each other over video uh but i have to point out the fact that i've just been laughing the past 45 (laughs) seconds as you as you've described all those scenes because i can close my eyes and see stormbreaker just kind of moving into the frame slowly just with a judge again to your point with a judgmental look but it's a fucking axe. So how does that have a judgmental look? This movie successfully accomplishes it. So, yeah, again, I'm glad you brought up Taika Waititi back in black. It wasn't what I expected. But when they let Taika cook, this movie is so fucking fun. Like, I, I just had a smile on my face at all those scenes. The, the other one that got me early in the movie... Again, I laughed a lot at the beginning. The, the Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> reference, I laughed at. I thought it was hysterical. Um, I'll say this before. I'm going to say the thing that made me laugh, but I can. I assume Chris Pratt still works out because he's married to Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter. Does Chris Hemsworth not make him look like a scrawny motherfucker in this movie? There's a point in, uh, when they're about to like split up, and I'm just like, Oh my God, Chris! Or uh, Chris Pratt looks tiny, and I'm like, he's not tiny. That's just how enormous Chris Hemsworth was in this movie. Uh, I I did not like any of the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff that was in this movie. It felt like no, they yeah. just knew. Hey, we left Thor with them last time, so we have to shoot a bunch of stuff with them. But it, everything, costume design, 
again, like you mentioned, Chris Pratt's physical stature, it felt like they just brought in the Guardians of the Galaxy cast for like three or four days. And uh, yeah. we're just like, hey, we, we're not going to spend the money on quite doing any of the CGI or the makeup. Because everybody just felt like a little lesser than. Like, I, I, I seriously wondered, like, uh, Nebula. I wondered, like, is that mm-hmm. actually the same actress? Uh, the Groot voice. I was like, is that actually Vin Diesel? In the credits, they say that they were, but it, it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I think the first joke that really hit me hard in the movie, though, it's early on, and it's when they go see, they're on the frozen planet or something like that, and they go and see... Um, but it's the distress signal, and and Thor goes and sees his his uh, friend, who is it, Sheev or something like that. Oh, the, yeah, the other from, Asgardian yeah, warrior. Yeah. And she's like, I, <laughs> I have, I'm gonna die on the battlefield. I'm going to Valhalla. It's like, ooh, actually awkward. You have to die in the battle to go to Valhalla. So your arm's probably there, but <laughs> he delivers that line. It's like it's so unexpected. But he's like. I mean, maybe your arms there. I'm like, I again, that was one of those moments where I'm like, I laughed out loud at that joke because I'm like, again, my brain of humor. Like it was just it was so spot on. <laughs> well, then, actually, <laughs> were you disappointed, Brett, that the arm didn't get a call back in the post credit scene? Oh, it should have. Yeah. It, I don't know how you would have had just the arm. Are you even like an army of darkness? I think I don't. <laughs> Yeah, it was just good lord. Oh my god, it made me laugh. Ooh, so actually awkward. You have to die in the battle. Like maybe your arm is probably there. But <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of like really good writing like that where it's just yeah, I very much enjoyed a lot of a lot of the jokes that were made. Yeah, ultimately, I feel like the parts I enjoy of this movie are not the parts that Disney and Marvel would want me to. But that's mm-hmm. that's why I love this movie even more. <laughs> I don't know if it caught you, but when Thor is giving the speech in New Asgard and you can just hear the whiteboard like squeaking in the background. And I'm like, is that is that a fucking whiteboard? Like, what am I, what am I hearing? And then all of a sudden, he's like, "I'm you're really distracting. I'm like, oh, okay, it was. That's absolutely, and it was <laughs> I, very distracting. One of the rare times that we, we clearly both saw this in the theater because that's only where it's available, but I was in the theater looking around like, who the <laughs> fuck is doing that? So that do. gag worked perfectly because I was like, there's only nine other people in this fucking theater and somebody is making this fucking noise. <laughs> Again, just brilliant writing. Because I mean, even to the point we're using the surround sound to your to your benefit, where it's just like it really felt like someone was just and it was distracting exactly how the scene illustrated. I'm like, what in the hell? Like, what is happening? Oh, there is there really is a character scribbling on a whiteboard. <laughs> Uh, but that's i if you don't have anything else i think that about does it for five points yeah i'm good all right well normally this is where we would go and do our segment blue book but whenever we do a brand new release like this we obviously don't have any of the financials to back up what it cost what it brought in or anything like that so unfortunately we're gonna have to skip that segment for the week and go straight into my personal favorite jag and title
I didn't I didn't know if you would have tag and title on on such a Ooh, brand new release. Baby. I'm excited. Ooh, baby. All right. So Travis, I'm going to give you three taglines. One is a tagline for the our official tagline for this movie. One is a tagline for a movie I found adjacent, and one is a tagline I created myself. What I need you to do is tell me the official tagline for this movie. Are you ready? Bring it to me. Bring it to me. The story of a lifetime. The one and only. Every rose has its Thor. <laughs> uh, I have no idea other than that Every Rose Has Its Thor is a Brett Mosher creation. <laughs> Lock it in. Um, okay, all right, all right. The story of a lifetime. And what was the other? The one and only. Uh, I'm I'm stumped. I, I'm really stumped. Uh, all right, uh, just... I'm going to get reckless here, and I'm going to say the one and only you went ahead and ripped off uh, a, a tagline for a movie that I think was released the same week, maybe the week before Thor. I'm going to say the one and only is from Elvis. Okay. Do you have a guess? So you think the story of a lifetime. All right. All right. Yeah, you got mine. I I absolutely made every rose has its thorn. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> which, which we need to talk about Guns and Roses. We haven't done that yet, but yeah, go ahead. Uh, the one and only was the was an official tagline for the movie. It's a play off of the fact that there's now two Thors. So there's Thor, and then Jane becomes the mighty Thor. So Except the one she's and only by the end of the movie. Ew. <laughs> um, and then the story of a lifetime is from 1994's Forrest Gump. <laughs> I, because he has a girlfriend, they split up. It's the love of his life. And at the very end, he ends up with a kid, right? Oh. Okay. And it's a journey of self-discovery. It's a journey of self-discovery. Oh, dude, dude, I, dude when I your, pick adjacent pat, movies. I pick adjacent movies. Pat yourself <laughs> on the back for that. Because I was trying to think of... I left the theater with a certain feeling in the Forrest Gump thing. Yeah, that works, except it's even better because I didn't particularly like Forrest Gump character or movie, but Thor is a much better version of that. So, yeah, kudos to you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh, and then another official tagline for the movie was not every God has a plan. I did have two runner ups that I did not choose. They were not as, I didn't think they were as strong as the story of a lot, or not my personal. I had two adjacent okay. runner-ups. Oh, okay, go ahead. Um, Behind Every Great Love is a Great Story. That's from, do you want to guess? The Notebook? Yeah, that's from The Notebook. <gasps> and I'm ashamed that I know that. <laughs> Why? It's a fucking great movie. Don't you uh, dare. It's not a great movie, Brad. It's a good movie. Let's, let's not get carried away. All right, away. it's a good movie. It's it's a good move. I'm thinking at the time that that came out, there probably wasn't a whole lot near it. Um, she didn't believe in angels until she fell in love with one. 
City of Angels, Nicolas Cage. Yep, City of Angels. Yep. So, and that was only because she died at the end. So, spoilers if you haven't seen City of Angels from. I actually fucking haven't. So, thank you, Brett. Whoopsies. <laughs> uh, but no, I thought Forrest Gump was much better. It 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 checked all the boxes I wanted for an adjacent movie. Alrighty, well, do you have a time capsule for us this week? Uh, I do. It's 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 cheap as fuck. But do you know who was responsible for the score of this movie? Not obviously not Guns and Roses, but the, oh, the Axel Rose. Yeah, the score. <laughs> uh, I am not uh, a man who I I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. I take some sense of pride in Michael Giacchino because. The man got his start as far as being famous for music working on Lost. He was the man oh, responsible okay. for the score of Lost. Uh, he now has pretty much become Disney's go-to guy as far as a composer. I feel like, hot take, he might be this generation's John Williams. So Michael oh, Giacchino, responsible right. for the score of this movie. Dig it. All right. Very nice. I will keep an eye out for him. Can I ask you one thing? I forgot to bring up when we were you doing five points and all that. You don't fucking know Michael Giacchino? <clears throat> no. That mm-hmm. name doesn't resonate Did with you at all? Mm-mm. Okay, you know what? Never mind, though. You're the same motherfucker who we recorded the Heat podcast, and you didn't... You were like, I didn't notice any Dude, music on the on, on I, the ending scene. Dude, I don't know what it is. I... The scores have not resonated with me like they used to. I have my old ones that I go back to, but I don't know what it is. But music, the movie music is not. It all just kind of blends together. I've, oh. I've been waiting for something <laughs> like. I'm going to send you a fucking YouTube clip of the ending of Heat when we get done recording this. But that's it for my time cancel. What were you going to get on to, Brett? Did you think that they they kind of shorted the audience out with the destruction of Korg and then his face being okay. Like it just feels like he gets broken apart and then almost immediately you, you find out that he didn't really die. And I just feel like the emotional pull of him being crumbled is, is kind of short lived because of how quickly they revealed that he actually didn't, didn't die. I mean, yes, but it's an MCU movie. So I just, I kind of just come to expect that, that they're going to pull their punches when it comes to we're never going to kill off a character if they're, you know, financially still successful. So, yeah, it didn't bother me just because I came into this movie with very low expectations, which is maybe why I liked it so much. But, yeah, that that's par for the course for Marvel for me. Alrighty, well, I think that brings us to our final segment, Chop Shop. got oscar bait which is not my my forte not my special tie right i typically am the horror comedy guy 
I can maybe get a good family friendly in there, but Oscar bait is, is your baby, but I, that's what the, the wheel of destiny gave me this week. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, this is what I wanted to do. Can I just say, I, I always thought that you manipulated the wheel of destiny, but this week is mm-hmm. proof positive that you do not because you, you had the option to pick any, any chop shop you wanted, but you let the mm-hmm. wheel of destiny decide. And, and for that, I appreciate you. Uh, a yep. lot of reasons I appreciate you, Brett, but that's another reason. Well, I think I appreciate I really wanted miniseries is what I wanted. After after watching the movie, I'm like, oh, fuck, miniseries would have been a breeze with this one. So here we go. There's certain parts I, I kept in the movie. Obviously, it's a chop shop, so it's not a complete retelling, but here we go. So the movie opens with Thor and Loki as children, eagerly waiting the return of their father, Odin. Odin arrives back from battle training with other gods. They celebrate. They're, they're all celebrating as a family, right? When suddenly, like another guard or a god comes in and informs Odin that after they left, there was an incident and many of the gods that were still there were killed. Odin rushes off in a haste and Thor wants to join his dad. And Odin yells for him to stay back. Loki makes some kind of snide comment about Thor seeing what it feels like to be disregarded that Odin gives love a bad name. I really wanted to try that. That I I quickly abandoned trying to end every single one of these scenes with a rock song. Uh, had I had more time in the week to write this, I probably would have. But just realized that that's not gonna much like you the, really wanted the narration. Yeah, yeah, much like yeah, exactly. Much like the narration in this movie, I just kind of willy nilly used it where I didn't didn't want. Uh, but yes, I definitely wanted mini series so I could fucking use. Uh, okay. After the opening credits, the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, ship flies overhead. We have Peter Quill and Thor having a conversation about their fathers. Peter starts talking about his dad being an asshole because in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, we find out his father was Ego, the living planet and all that. So we get a little bit of a flashback to that, but his father was an asshole who just wanted to use him to get what he wanted. Thor talks highly of Odin when Peter brings up Loki. Thor asks what he means about it and says everyone knows Loki could be difficult. You know, Thor says everybody knows Loki could be difficult. You know, a lot of it was his fault when Peter reminds him, didn't you say that Odin adopted Loki as a tool to create peace and not actually as a sign of goodwill? The two agree that dads can, after that, the two agree dads can suck when Rocket and uh, Groot enter saying that they've arrived at the dis- arrived at the distress signal. The group fights back an alien force uh, and after and is approached by the locals after they succeed. A woman and a child are reunited with their warrior father you know, husband, and Thor begins to realize that he still hasn't found what he's looking for. Um, you too? Thor. <laughs> huh? Yeah, little you too there. Uh, Thor and Krog, uh, yeah, say their goodbyes to the Guardians of the Galaxy as a mysterious figure looms from a nearby cliff. Thor tells the Guardians of the Galaxy that he's returning to New Asgard on Earth and uses the Bifrost to leave. Back on New Asgard, Valkyrie is managing the town and is prospering, uh, much as it was in this movie. As Thor tours the town and expresses his gratitude and amazement, they are attacked by the shadowy figure from the cliffside. Thor discovers that the mysterious figure is Gore the God Butcher, a boogeyman that he thought children gods were told of so that they would behave. As the two fight, Mjolnir Mjolnir reappears uh, in the hands of another Thor, and the two fight back the Dark Forces, but not without the children being kidnapped. 
is revealed that Jane Foster is the mighty Thor and has been in New Asgard for a while. You say the Jane group decide Fonda? to hunt. Yeah, Jane Fonda. That that was a. I mean, in all fairness, Krog made a classic Brick Mosier uh, name name change problem, so I can appreciate that. Yes. Uh. Uh. Let's see. The the group decide to hunt down Gore, but first they need to gather more forces. Ah, uh, this is about the time where I think I stopped trying to end everything in a rock rocks. Uh, yeah. On the journey to the city of the city of the gods, Thor and Jane rehashed their feelings. We learned that it wasn't a commitment that Thor feared with Jane, but it was being a father. Thor began to drift and eventually left to save the world before the two could settle down and have children. Thor realizes that he has a habit of avoiding any kind of real responsibility. You know, in Thor one, he loses his hammer because he's kind of you know he's acting childish and has to be taught to listen. Um. He runs away from Jane. He gives up being king because he doesn't want the responsibility of having to be new Asgard. He leaves the Guardians of the Galaxy. He realizes that it really at the at the point where there's any kind of responsibility being put on him, he he tends to kind of you know flee. Uh, at the the city of the gods, it's revealed that the gods really are as selfish as Gore accuses them of being a new a new Asgard. Thor and team leave to find the children to defeat Gore alone. In the Shadow Realm, the four are captured because of Gore's additional strength. Thor tries to reason with Gore, but Gore begins to explain why he hates the gods so much. Gore recounts... That was another thing I thought. I actually wish that we hadn't found out why Gore hated the gods so much until later. I think revealing it at the beginning of the movie takes a little bit away from his reveal later uh, and how sinister he is. I think it would have been a little bit more impactful if you get his backstory after he's kind of been fighting Thor. Again, it goes back to that thing about like, Oh, well, we find out the gods are evil or assholes, and then the entire movie just reestablishes that theory as opposed to us getting it later and be like, oh, yeah, actually, he is. Now that I think about it, everything that we've seen in the movie, they are. But Gore recounts his past with the voiceover, uh, with a voiceover of him talking about watching his people and family die as they prayed to the gods to save them. Uh, Ad Gore journeys into the wasteland with his daughter after the rest of the village dies, but after she dies, he decides to return back. Uh, to the dead village and finds that the gods have set up a gladiatorial battle ring and are challenging one another. Rapu, which was the sun god or whatever it was from this movie, recognizes him and reveals the pain and suffering of the village gave him strength to fight. Gore described as Gore is describing the battle. Thor realizes that Odin and some of the other Asgardian gods were participants in these duels and that that was actually or that these are the events from the beginning of the movie and that odin might not have uh harnessed the power from human suffering but he was complacent in it and allowed other gods to do it odin had an opportunity to stop rapu but he didn't which ultimately resulted in the death of gore's family gore continues to explain how after attacking rapu as a mortal the necrosword chose him and he began to slay many other gods at that gladiatorial battle so essentially it's revealed that Odin was there when Gore got the sword, but left right before all of that went down, and that Gore basically slaughtered all of those gods. Uh, the battle winds up separating the party, much like this movie, so we have to get Valkyrie injured, we have to get Jane off. Uh, we go back with Thor going to fight Gore. Uh, Thor tells Gore that, you know, we do, the, we do the whole fight, they wind up in the, you know, the, the what is it, wish portal or wherever it is where thor tells gore that he can choose to give life or take it 
but taking it may makes him no better than the gods that he's hunted he can't blame him and he won't try and stop him but in this moment he has the power of a god and he can choose what he wants to do with it gore admires thor's humanity and states that thor might not be human but he's not a god either gore asks what will happen with his daughter and ultimately you know thor winds up adapting it really and i don't think i did a great job this week with it i wanted to go more down the path of the sins of your father and then basically thor trying to be better than what his father was and even you know by taking on gore's child it's not him like when he took odin took loki it's thor did it actually because it was the right thing to do but like i said that's it was kind of where i was wanting to go with oscar bait no i actually like that do you think that this movie could have been better served delving into that a little bit more with thor as far as i think so we know his dad's dead because of the funny play but other than that it's really not touched on at all well most of the thor movies have been about kind of family drama too i mean the first one is loki is jealous of his you know half brother step but at that point i don't even know if loki knows he was adopted loki finds out he was adopted i think so it's that jealousy and his father basically taking away all of his powers and throwing them to earth to teach him a lesson the second one thor's mom dies he thinks his brother dies the third one, his father actually does die. He finds out his father, <laughs> he has a sister he didn't know about because his father locked up his sister. And in the third one, we find out that Odin did was kind of like a warmonger. So it kind of goes along with that. So I think I'm surprised that this movie didn't do a little bit more about Thor and his relationship with his father so that it could piggyback off of it when Thor decides that he wants to be a father at the end, of, that he's not going to run away from that commitment and he wants to be a dad at the end of it, it would have been, I think, more impactful if we had a little bit more about his relationship with his father in this movie. 100% agree. I, again, I don't know if that's part of the the four-hour uh, Taika Waititi cut, but yeah, it feels like for a movie that's going to end with Thor accepting the responsibility of fatherhood uh, and accepting it with, you know, grace and and he's going to be a great father i 100 percent believe that it's weird that you don't get a little bit more about his relationship with his father i i know that the, the previous movies built that up but uh yeah i i tend to engage these marvel movies at this point as a little bit of more of a standalone so i i, I like mm -hmm. what you're including with your chop shop yeah and they they did an okay job of planting those seeds of, oh, you know, the number of times he transports and talks with the children and, oh, he's comforting the children. Thor is the one doing that. And it makes sense. It gives it gives a little bit so that at the very end yeah, when he has the girl. Here's the thing, like, though. Oh. They, they undercut it, though, with, uh, you know, I'm going to tickle your nose while you're talking to them. I'm <laughs> yes. like, that, that's, that's one of the prime examples of you're making a good scene, but you're not confident enough to not undercut it with a joke. Yeah, and that was one of the few times where it was one of those, like, I don't understand, like, this joke, was it a little funny, I guess, but I feel like, to your point, it completely destroys that scene in the pacing, and it's like I said with the goats, like, there's plenty of I laughed every time the goats were on screen, but there's plenty of times where the goats cut a scene in half, you know, or they, they wound up, once a scene started having, almost like I was talking about with 
not wanting to commit to anything once a, a scene started getting a little too much pressure all of a sudden it's like okay let's undercut it with a joke before this winds up becoming you know too serious yeah a hundred percent like the, the the scene that sticks out the most in my mind is when thor is giving the speech about rescuing the children it's so lighthearted and fun and i'm like you're talking to a bunch of parents who just lost their children and aren't sure that they're coming back and yet you're trying to make this a jokey scene. That's that's the only point where I thought it was criminal the way they were undercutting the drama with just useless comedy. Mm hmm. Because, I mean, what is a good way to joke about child abduction? I can't think of one. So don't try to fucking do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's 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 my only legitimate real. You're <laughs> you fuck this up yeah. moment. You're only flexing if it works, and it didn't. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh -huh. But that brings us to, you know, final thoughts of this. I, uh, you know, I just got done monologuing about my thing, so I'll let you, what is, what were your, what is your final thought on it? I, I don't, I don't think you would consider this a rock song. I don't think anybody would, but. Uh, I'm thinking of the Genesis slash Phil Collins song Against All Odds. Mm -hmm. Against All Odds, I really love this movie. I could not fucking believe it. Again, maybe it's because I went in with such low expectations, but I... It, it's funny because a lot of the complaints that I'm reading is that this does not lend in lend itself to the the marvel universe larger and to that i say that's fine like if you can just give me an actual good movie with a couple of characters i care about with with a little bit of humor that's that's why i want to go to the movies so uh i understand that uh, this movie's getting bonus points because I did see it in a theater because I, I don't care what anybody says. A theatrical experience is still better than watching it at home. I don't care how good your TV is or your surround sound. I like this movie. Um, but at the same time, I I don't have any intention of seeing the next Marvel movie in the theater unless we review it. So maybe that's mm -hmm. what Marvel doesn't want. I like this movie on its own. It doesn't motivate me to see anything else. Well, and even I watched the multiverse of Mad. I don't know when people are saying like, oh, it doesn't lend itself to the, the universe as a whole. I'm like, I don't understand how some of these other movies necessarily have. It's like, oh, what? Because they had multiverse care other characters. I'm like, it, to me, this is just as much. I mean, it establishes that Thor's still out there fighting other bad guys. We've now established there's a city of gods that you can cherry pick whoever you want out. As you're saying, Hercules is, I assume going to be the antagonist for if we get another Thor movie. That's, I honestly just want to see Thor get his sign. And I thought they were going to possibly kill Thor. He, I mean, they basically retired him a little bit. Well, at a certain point, like you, you got rid of um, Captain America or you passed the shield on you've passed on, the uh what is iron man is no longer that's honestly at the end of this travis what i thought is that they're setting up a young avengers and what's going to wind up happening is this the little girl is going to become little thor or the new thor 
so that you can have a new Captain America with Anthony Mackie. You'll have a new Iron Man. I think Iron Heart is supposed to come out of the next Black Panther movie. You're going to wind up having a new Thor, and now you've got She-Hulk. So we're basically like, okay, now let's assemble the younger Avengers team. And that's where I... Th maybe Thor will be, you know... They're Charles Xavier. I, I have no idea where he, he just winds up being kind of a, a guide for them. But I at a certain point, even the Hawkeye TV series is setting up Kate Bishop as the new Hawkeye. And I'm like, they're just setting up another Avengers team. Almost, you know, the same exact thing, which I don't want to see. That's also another reason why I'm not excited about the Marvel stuff. I'm like, it's amazing what they did. And to get to Endgame and Infinity War, like that was a major feat in Hollywood. If you're just going to do the exact same thing, thing again, I don't need to see it. Like do something different or bigger or better. I just don't see them doing that right now. Yeah, and I think that's ultimately why as much as I walked out of this movie kind of on cloud nine and enjoying it, I realized that, yeah, to your point, you know, Haley Steinfeld in, in the Hawkeye property. She's there to replace Jeremy Renner. You know, She-Hulk is there to replace Mark Ruffalo eventually. It, it It's all just building to do the same thing again with younger actors. And I realize that's, that's life. You know, life goes on. You get replaced by the younger generation. But I'm like, you're literally just going to tell the same story and just replace... The, the property names, you know, there's a new mm -hmm. Iron Man, there's a new Thor, there's a new Hulk. So I enjoy this movie on its own right. Um, it That's why it doesn't bother me that it's, it's not setting up anything larger because I just care about Chris Hemsworth's character. I, I care about the fact that he now has this adopted daughter. I like that. You know what it almost feels like, Brett? It feels like walking out of the Dark Knight Rises, watching Joseph Gordon-Levitt you know, be touted as the new Batman mm. when I know that's actually never going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's <laughs> when I see Chris Hemsworth and his daughter, which apparently is his real life daughter. Did you know that? Yeah. Yeah. When I watch, he had a lot of family in this movie. When I watch those two go out and fight, I'm like, I, I want to see more of this, but I know deep down I'm not going to. So I guess I'll just enjoy this in its own right. Mm hmm. Uh, I totally agree. On that note with the family, did you know when Thor is running through the forest and he's aging up, one of those was his son? Uh, I did know that. I'll, I'll, I'll take you a step further. I'll see that, Brett. Did you know that in Thor The Dark World, when Natalie Portman was pissed off and hated the MCU, Chris Hemsworth's wife was a stand-in for Natalie Portman in a couple of scenes? I didn't. Did you know his wife was in Thor Love and Thunder? No, is she? She was the wolf woman. Oh! <laughs> Did you know she's also Dominic Toretto's baby mama in the Fast franchise? No. Yeah, she's the one that dies, I think, after Fast Five. Yeah. Oh, did not know that. No. Um, but... I digress. I don't think I said my final opinion to this movie. I did very much love it too. And there's, listen, I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it. There's plenty of, of flaws in this movie. I honestly believe if there was a, uh, a Taika cut out there, I, I would 
probably enjoy it a lot more. I just, I have such faith in him as a filmmaker. I can't imagine that all of those scenes made the, it made it a worse movie that needed to be removed. It's, that's another one of those things we talk about DVDs and all that. We used to love to buy DVDs or, you know, rent them because you got the commentary, you got deleted scenes. But the funny thing is most movies, deleted scenes, you got four, maybe five. And usually it was one of those like, yeah, this didn't need to be in the movie. But, it, and they were like two to three minutes long. I feel like these days, like with the Snyder Cut and all this, it's like we're out there film or even what was it? I think the the first Suicide Squad. Like they're like, yeah, we filmed like eight hours worth of movie and then cut it down to two hours. I'm like, why the fuck are you making an eight hour long script? You know, you're not going to get an eight hour movie. And that's why these movies are costing so much money. I'm like, stop. You're fucking the budget so much. And then. Your story is going to get completely destroyed because you have to recut the damn thing until it's a point where you enjoy it. Like, just write a good movie, shoot that movie, and move on. And that's the kind of stuff where I'm getting concerned when you hear about this. Because, again, Taika Waititi, I assume he made a full story, one complete story, filmed all of that, and then... Afterward, for whatever reason, large pieces of this movie got trimmed off and left on the cutting room floor. That said, it is still a really, really fun movie. I laughed throughout the entire movie. It's very enjoyable. I will definitely watch this movie again one day. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I, I sit with it. Yeah, I, I think you've said it perfectly. The last thing I will say... At the end of the day, these movies are going to print money anyways. Just just let people, like, like we've said, just let, if, if you trust a creative, let them get in there and cook a little bit. That's or, it. hey, if, if Taika Waititi did make a, a six or an eight hour movie, then guess what? Let's just make it a miniseries. Make it a six part miniseries and then we get the whole story. And you can put it on Disney Plus or wherever the fuck you want to do with it. But that's we all know I'm a story hound. I don't like when the story gets sacrificed so that we can put it in a movie. Like, we made Loki a series. Just make it a Thor series. I, I think the best... As two people who just completed watching the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, I watched two hours of content be stretched over eight hours. Why not? Mm -hmm. In this movie, it feels like you've had eight hours of content crammed into two hours. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, if all you're looking for is taking up, you know, airspace and, and programming time and getting subscriptions. Yeah. Like you said, just make this a series. Travis, I think we're going to do a new thing on Hollywood. Something I think we talked about doing before for whatever reason um i never wound up doing it but i think what we're gonna do since we we've, we've changed it to doing one shop shop a week we're gonna tease the audience we're gonna let them know what you you're getting next week we'll be doing do you want to do days of thunder or do you want to do tropic thunder next knowing that you have to do the chop shop for it i mean baby i want days of thunder if i'm doing the chop shop Let's see here. What would you classify Days of Thunder as so we know what it's not going to get? Is it a blockbuster? Uh, yeah, I'd say it's probably closest to blockbuster.
<laughs> you have to turn it into a sci-fi flick. Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, remember earlier in the episode where I thought you weren't manipulating these? Mm-hmm. I, I've reversed back. I think you're manipulating them. <laughs> but I got it. I got it. I got it. You got it? I got All it. Right. I got it. Hey, in the in the words of Harry Hogg, there's nothing I can't do in a race car. Are you going to give us a Days of Thunder quote instead of a Thor quote for the end here? Ice cream. Today we'll be starting our Thunder trilogy with our review of 2020's Thor Love and Thunder. 2020? We'll jump into 5.0. God damn it. 2022's <laughs> Thor oh, Love God. and Thunder. Yeah, the, we'll jump into five point inspection. Yeah, the, pa- the pandemic's been crazy. It has, dude. Is it not 2019? Fuck. The goats, dude. You you don't think that's a little overboard? What? Oh, a little broad. Broad? I mean, what do you mean? He cleared his throat, ladies and gentlemen. I, so yeah, I've been needing to get that out for a while. Be a, uh, it's going to be a good chop shot. Mm. Mm. 